loyalty is more about the brand and the customer's interaction and relationship with that brand than anything else. You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome, everyone, to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today, we're talking about loyalty in business, loyalty between prospects and sales reps, customers, and account managers. We're going to dive into what it means today to form relationships that generate loyalty and why this is so important. You've heard me talk about the importance of authenticity and respect, and loyalty is a measure of how well you're doing both. Excited to have with us today Rob Gallo, founder and president of Complinks. Rob, thank you so much for taking time and welcome to the show. Thanks, Chad. Thanks for having me. So I noticed you sold an online casino and poker room in 2010. So we're totally off script, right? Because normally my format is, I got another question for you, but I got to know, how did you, how did you get into that? Mm, interesting story. So uh, it was 1997 when I started in uh, the online casino business. So I actually went back a little earlier than that. So in 94, I was on vacation with my wife and only had one child at the time, my daughter. <laughs> And there was a sign on the kiosk of a casino. It said, wager up to $250,000 on the Super Bowl. And I said, wow, that's pretty steep. So at the time, I was working for a handicapping company, like a tout in New York. And I was on the phone with gamblers all day long, selling them on who would win the games that the handicapper that I worked for knew. Anyway, long and short of it, as I went in, I introduced myself and we hit it off. We became friends. Then we had been on vacation about two years later in St. Kitts, and someone came to him. Uh, he had the master license for the online casino in Antigua at the time. And uh, they said, we need you to get us an online casino license. I said, Bill, that's a great idea. You should open your own. He says, okay, and you could run it. I'm like, all right, whatever. I mean, I didn't know the difference between the whole percentage of blackjack, video poker. I said, I'll figure it out. How hard could it be? <laughs> so we, uh, I went up to Toronto with the... Uh, a software company, Cryptologic. And I, I sat with them in July of 97 and I kind of uh, mapped out what we wanted to look like. And I secured the domain names and we launched November of 97 and we did about a hundred and thousand dollars in the first month, 120 the next month and just took off like a rocket ship. It was just unbelievable. A cost per acquisition for a customer was $20, Whoa. which is phenomenal. Yeah. Lifetime value was 900. So we were making money like falling off a log. Um, but I moved my family down to Antigua. At the time, I had a three-year-old and a five-year-old. And then uh, by the time they needed to go to further education, the primary and secondary schools were great, but further education was non-existent. So we came back to the States. And then I had the opportunity to sell it in 2010, and I did. And I kind of retired and um, backed into consulting in the casino space. Uh, so I consult for land-based casinos who are looking to get online and online operators who are looking for a way into land-based properties. I kind of, I translate the language difference between online and land-based. And then, um, I, I don't, I don't know how long you want me to go on with this chat, but it kind of dovetails <laughs> no, it's fascinating. into, it's fascinating. It, it, it dovetails into the loyalty of where I'm at now. So in 
98, when we first started 97, 98, the company that we licensed the software from did not have a loyalty platform. And if you've ever been in a casino, you get a card that you stick oh, yeah. in the machine and, and they kind of track your play and then they give you rewards, cash back and stuff. So we built our own from scratch. Our programmers and developers built a platform where it was based on what's called the theoretical hold, how much the house should make from your activity, not based on win or loss, but on what the theoretical win should be. And um, by the time we launched it, we had five other casino properties in late 99. And uh, it you were able to earn from one and burn off at the other. So it was a nice ecosystem that we built. And and that's kind of how we got into this new platform, Complex, in uh, 19, uh, 2016. The story here goes, my daughter graduated from business school. She went to Quinnipiac. And I wanted to get my $200,000 worth of tuition that I paid for her back. So I said, let's start a business. <laughs> <laughs> we We looked to buy a company in New York called Long Island Loyalty. And they have a pretty neat concept. They use... Um, an old time stored value card, like a, almost like a debit card. Okay. And they have 250 merchants in their platform where you could go to a deli in one place and buy something and get 10% loaded on this card. And then you can go to a florist who's also in this little coalition network and you can buy something and burn off the, the $10 or 10% that you just earned. And they settle behind the scenes. So, we couldn't come to terms with the owners. We wanted to take the business digital and uh, we, we just couldn't come to terms. So we said, you know what, let's build our own. And then my daughter had the brilliant idea. She said, well, why don't we do it, it you know, related to the casino industry? I said, that's brilliant. <laughs> so uh, that that was the dawn, the birth of Complex and what it is now. But I digress. So I, I just wanted to. Yeah, no, that that's back. great. So Complex, are you completely focused on the casino space? No, actually we were, but um, earlier this year, a friend of mine for 20 years is on the board of a major QSR, a quick service restaurant. We were out to lunch and um, he was asking me about Complinks and he said, how come we're not using it in our stores, our, our business? I said, it's a great question. So he introduced me to the <laughs> chief marketing officer and we uh, we did a proposal for them. They absolutely loved it. Uh, the issue there is they don't have currently, they don't have a loyalty program. So ours is kind of an add-on to an existing platform. Okay. It's not a platform in and of itself. So, you know, let's say you buy 10 pizzas and you get your 11th one free or whatever that happens to be. A company that's managing that already, we are sort of a an engagement tool beyond that. So it allows customers to, instead of just buying pizza and earning rewards, now they can shop online at nearly a thousand different stores and earn rewards that they can only use back at that flagship property. In this case, a pizza place, for example. Right. Right. And I mean, loyalty is a critical component of, of many organizations. I mean, everybody's probably heard the Starbucks stories of what their loyalty program did for the business. And mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, Amazon's doing it. I mean, it's, it's kind of almost built in. Are you still seeing a great many companies that are struggling to figure out how to do it, how to, how to leverage it in their operations? Yeah. I think the biggest issue really is the definition of the word loyalty, customer loyalty, as it relates to increasing usage from existing customers in your establishment. And really loyalty is way beyond points. 
it, it really boil in my estimation. And again, I'm, I'm an aficionado can, considering I've been doing it for 20 years, but I, I don't <laughs> claim to know everything. In my assessment, loyalty is more about the brand and the customer's interaction and relationship with that brand than anything else. So you mentioned Starbucks, right? Yep. And if you think about Apple, falls into that same category of brand. Right. And people have an affinity to that brand because they want to do business with that company. So on an emotional connection, they have loyalty to that brand. Then there's other companies and there's other ways to, to look at loyalty. If you look at the convenience factor, convenience is another form of loyalty. It's, it's convenient to use Google compared to other search engines because they're better, but it's, it's just convenience. McDonald's, you know, people go to McDonald's because it's there. Right. And then you have value. Value is another form of loyalty. So you look at Southwest, Walmart, getting more bang for your buck for what might be a commoditized scenario, either traveling or buying discount goods at a, at a store. So there's many ways to look at it, but it really comes down to the relationship that an organization or a company or a group has with their customers. And it requires, I mean, in order to do it well, well, meaning it hits all those points from the customer's perspective, but also drives significant benefit for the business. You're talking about a a fairly, and you mentioned going digital, a fairly complex system. Right. This isn't the experience may look simple. It may look frictionless and flawless, but on the back end, there's a lot of data that's being collected, analyzed and, and put in place. Are there organizations that you think they have to hit a certain size and threshold before they think about this? Or should this be part of kind of, you know, day one, this needs to be part of what we consider as we're building and scaling an organization? Again, a great question, Chad. I, I think 20 years ago, maybe 25 years ago, it was just get it started, get it up there, get it out and get it up and running. But nowadays, I think with things that are just a click away, it really needs to be thought of as an engagement experience with your customers that transcends just your products and services, but creates a relationship. So I I like to say we live in a relationship economy right now. Right. And people will gravitate towards having relationships with brands that they know and trust rather than just a, you know, what's in it for me, the best price. Now, again, that it all depends on what it is that they're actually doing with that brand. So like we mentioned with Southwest, if I'm going to fly from New York to Las Vegas, like I did a couple of weeks ago for G2E, if I'm going on American Airlines or I'm going on Southwest, I'm going to earn, I'm in both of their rewards programs. Right. I'm going to earn miles either way, but it, then it's convenience, right? I have an airport that's way closer to me, which Southwest is uses as a hub. This is when I was still living in New York. And then, uh, you know, so again, it's a convenience factor. Well, and let's, and so have, did you see, I'm sure you saw the reports of how United's changing their loyalty program next year. Yes. Have, you, have you seen that? And, and it's an interesting, you know, it's like anything else. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Airline industry, not the most beloved, <laughs> let's say. And yeah. because I live on planes and I fly United, uh, I do it 
to your point for convenience that the convenience is my loyalty because it is the, it is the major hub out of Denver. So I get yep. more direct flights. Now, if somebody else had a hub that had a better experience, the rest of the experience was better then I would definitely switch, even though I'm, you know, constantly one K plus whatever, whatever. Right. I don't, mm-hmm. I, I don't pay attention to it because it's the convenience overrides the convenience drives my loyalty. And so I'm curious what, if you had any thoughts on kind of how United had changed theirs and, and what you think might be behind that. To be honest with you, I'm not a hundred percent sure what was the precipice for them making that change, but you know, the data will, will determine whether it's a success or failure. Right. So I don't know if you saw what plenty just, well, you remember plenty's by American express, right? American right. express had the plenty program, which was a coalition rewards program. Well, it flopped, but what they just did, they did a deal with the former Ebates company, which is now uh, Rakuten. They are using Rakuten as their coalition loyalty partner, where you can now shop online and earn American Express membership reward points as cash back for shopping at a thousand brand name stores. And we wow. have all those stores in our network as well. So learning from the mistakes of what they did in the past, they're just focusing now on what they know does work. And I think United will probably have that same scenario. They'll do a postmortem after probably six or eight months and see what the, uh, the long-term trends are from right. any changes that they make. And that's the smart thing to do. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it, 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 everything changes so fast and people, consumers are, uh, that relationship can be fickle. It can be very fickle. It doesn't take well, a lot anymore because it's so easy to switch a, a lot of places. It's so easy to switch that you can't really risk running them away. So they're going to have to do the, I agree, do the postmortem fast and then make the changes, especially considering, especially considering their brand isn't the most love, yeah. let's say. <laughs> yeah. That's putting it mildly. <laughs> so what, so let's talk about um, loyalty in the B2B space for a second. So there are brands, the one that comes to mind for me is uh, Scott Safety. Uh, they do all of the firefighter gear and, and oxygen masks and, you know, all, all types of first responder types of brands. And, and in my experience, having done, you know, I spent time doing frictionless experience and loyalty stuff as a digital agency. And they were one of the ones that we worked with in that B2B space where I saw probably the highest level of brand affinity from the people that actually used the stuff to the point where they were, it's the only B2B company I've seen where they're tattooing, firefighters are tattooing name Scott Safety on their body because these types of things are actually saving their lives. Now that's an extreme example, Hmm. but in general, I'm not seeing B2B companies, I don't want to say invest, think about the true multidimensional aspects of loyalty that we've touched on, right? And I think it's a missed, I think it's a missed opportunity. I was wondering if you've run into it in more to a B2B space and what you've seen. That's another great point, Chad. So my example that I use all the time on the B2B side is Intel and AMD. You think about a chip that's in your computer. So Intel does commercials on television, which you would think really are geared towards the consumer. You know, you're watching Jeopardy at seven o'clock, primetime television, (laughs) cost you $125,000, $150,000 for a 30-second spot. And you're thinking, why am I seeing an Intel commercial? But so I think B2B can be used and leveraged as a way to build your brand that other businesses would recognize and say, I need to be a part of that. So I'm going to go back to the casino days. And this is an interesting story with how 
the affiliate world works. So affiliates, we had companies that were marketing our products and services in the casino and, and poker software space back in the day for a commission. And they would have a website, what, what they would call a portal that would say, you know, here are the top 10 sites, et cetera, et cetera. Come play here. Here's the bonuses. Here's how fast the payouts are, et cetera. But the key was, is that they said that they would only put up brands that people recognized. So as much as you would think, all right, they're, they're going to promote our product for a 25 or 30% of the net profit that we generate which I had affiliates that were making more than we were from the same customers that they sent us because they didn't have any overhead. Our margins, you know, whittled down to 25% by the time all was said and done for operational costs. Anyway, the point is, is that unless the brand in and of itself had a strong enough identity, they're not going to promote it. So like getting back to your firefighter example, nobody in the outside world understands what that brand means, but the people that are using it have that affinity to that brand, then it makes sense for them to promote it because it works for them. Right. So getting back to the AMD versus uh, Intel, the reason Intel, well, a number of reasons, but the, the reason that Intel continues to advertise in market is so that when the consumer is out there looking to make a purchase, he's seeing that Intel brand at the checkout counter of Best Buy and he's saying, well, I know that brand. So that's where a B to B to C play, a B to B to C sort yep. of play works. Yeah, I like it. And it's interesting. The, the brand component adds yet another com, uh, complexity to how I think about that, uh, my organization as a whole. Like when I start to think about how, you know, what's the strategic direction for my organization? It isn't just about the product anymore. It is about that experience. It is about the brand. It is about how do I drive that loyalty and that affinity. And then you can even go into, I mean, sales, sales and marketing people making sure they understand that they actually are part of that brand experience and part of whether or not you're going to get that loyalty and affinity to, to up level the brand this makes for an extremely complex mix of elements that um, people struggle. I, I think still are struggling to tackle well and consistently in the B2B space. The minute you add the human element, like let's say field sales or account manager, customer success or, or whatever you want to call them, you're adding even more complexity just because of how humans interact. Have you seen organizations focus on how do you help people as part of the element driving brand loyalty. You know, it's funny you say that because as you were saying that the first thing I thought about is the main differentiator is the people. Yeah. So the corporate culture, I think that builds and breeds the type of interaction that they want to have with their users, their end users is critical. So you know, this might not be a perfect B2B example, but if you think about Apple, right? So Apple is a nearly a trillion dollar company. You can get someone on the phone. It may take a little while, but get someone on the phone that can answer your question and spend time with you on the phone that you're completely satisfied. So that creates a feeling from a consumer that, and whether it's B2B or B2C, you're creating that feeling with your customer that you matter. And they care. And that's the human element that I think is being missed by so many people. I mean, 
you know, I'm on the phones continuously with, you know, C-suite level people. And, and sometimes they have gatekeepers and getting into them in the first place is a difficult thing. Right. Right. But some of them, you could just tell by their attitude that you're never going to get anywhere. <laughs> and, and I'm like, you know, I got a lump on the, for, on the front of my forehead thinking, yeah. you know, why is it so difficult to educate people on how to help build that brand by reacting with customers in a more positive, friendly manner? It's, it's incredible. It's a, and it's a huge challenge because the, the way, you know, we spend a lot of time with clients on, on the sales side, obviously. And, and, and I say to the SDRs, guys, smile when you're on the phone. Just mm-hmm. smile. It comes through. It changes the way you sound. It changes the way that that other person, you know, it feels about the experience. And there's, a, I think a challenge and I could be wrong. I haven't cracked this nut yet, but I think there's an innate challenge because we have, basically gotten into such a digital society that the art of having a conversation and listening and actually understanding another human being's perspective, it takes time. And time is something that we see getting minimized and minimized in the one click by now type of B2C world that we all live in. And I think it's going to be a much larger challenge, especially when you start talking about loyalty, much bigger challenge as, as businesses continue to, you know, deal with a generation from millennial to Gen Z. I mean, they're just, they're so used to having, you know, a screen three inches from their face. Yep. And I think it creates a challenge. And when you have to switch to that human to human interaction, it all almost innately becomes full of friction and something that really you have to focus on and be aware of in order to overcome. And I don't know how, I mean, I, I would recommend salespeople give me a call, but if, if I don't know how organizations are thinking about that in, in total, right. And it, I think drives a huge, has a huge impact on the way loyalty uh, and the way brands are perceived and interacted with. Have you seen, have you seen anybody add that, that kind of, I hate to say this, but how to be human tra- training to their, yeah. to their loyalty programs? Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned Starbucks earlier on, right? So yep. if you think about Starbucks and how their loyalty program works, when you get there, and this might seem trivial, but when you get there, you're asked for your first name when you make your order. Now, I don't even drink coffee, but I, right. I've been there and I've seen other people do it. Uh, <laughs> and, and it might, it, I'm, I'm always this hyper anyway, uh, but it, it might seem that it's, you know, something small. But it, again, it's that human interaction as opposed to some places you go to, you're number 24, right? right? So when I know that it's, well, it's not me, but let's say, Rob, your latte is grande or whatever is, is ready. Again, it's not, you know, pick up a number 74. It just becomes more personalized. Now, did they do that on purpose? I believe so, in all honesty. And I think that makes a difference. So when you get to the human element, people like doing business with people they like, and that's part of it. If if you're not a number, you're an actual person. I think there's something to that. And how do you how do you suggest organizations that are thinking about measuring the impact of loyalty programs they've got in place to determine if they're if they need an overhaul or they need a an amplifier or something? You mentioned CLV earlier, right? Customer lifetime value and yep. uh, and stuff like that. How do you recommend from the operational side the organizations assess the impact and the return that they're getting? Well, uh, there was a Harvard Business Review study that said um, a 5% increase in customer loyalty can 
yield between 25 and 100%, which it seems like high to me, 25 to 100%, but even 25% increase in, in customer value. So if you could imagine that, let's use round numbers, you have a customer lifetime value of $1,000 and you do a 5% increase in loyalty and those 5% of extra customers that you reach out to and, and engage with on a loyalty basis by your customer service reps actually speaking to these customers, like you said, creating that human element. If you can gauge the results over, say, six, eight months, 12 months, and see that these customers are buying from you more often, buying from you at higher value prices or, or more continually, there's your proof. But unless you get started and try and A-B test and iterate, you'll never know. Exactly. So where do you see loyalty going in the next three to five years? How, how will people and businesses need to evolve to capitalize, continually capitalize in this relationship economy? Again, great question. From a technical standpoint, I think everything is going to be completely digital. I think uh, stored value cards will become a thing of the past. Everything is uh, digitized in most of the top tier loyalty platforms now, as it is. And I don't want to get on the blockchain derivative and start <laughs> down that path, but that's very, very interesting too. And a couple of companies are actually starting with the the blockchain approach. And, you know, again, not to get too technically into the weeds, but it's uh, an interesting concept if, if your listeners are aware of how the blockchain technology works. It's pretty fascinating. But getting back to the uh, the human side and what you were mentioning, with what I see in trends in loyalty, it's just going to come down to continued engagement beyond your brand. So on a personal level, so think about this. And I think companies like Home Advisor, Kayak, that are aggregators of, of different services, do a great job of it. So it's not just to say, I only need a plumber when I go to Home Advisor, but it's, I need anyone to help me do things around the house or help me to do things outside the house. So the customer loyalty experience that needs to happen. And, and again, it, it's already started in the loyalty space of airlines. So airlines now, some of the smart ones like Southwest and uh, British Airways, uh, Virgin Airways also, they're using what's called coalition loyalty. And that means that they're creating loyalty interactions with their customers beyond their core product or service. So it's been going on for forever. The business to consumer side is Ebates, which they changed their name. I think it's a mistake, but that's another whole nother topic <laughs> uh, to Rakuten, which again is a brand extension of the corporate name. It's a mistake. Right. But anyway, so Ebates is, I go shopping at these stores, I earn cash back and they pay me my rewards at the end of 90 days. So now a lot of smart companies are starting to leverage this technology. And in fact, I was just mentioning, so uh, American Express scrapped their plenty program, I think a year and a half or maybe two years ago. But the best part of it was the coalition. And now they just did a deal with Ebates, I'm going to call them. Um, <laughs> and it's going to be phenomenal because now I could earn rewards on my credit card just for shopping online without using my American Express. I could use any credit card. It's payment agnostic. But if I shop through their portal, that they created their link between Ebates and themselves. It's uh, so you could actually double dip and, and in fact, triple dip and get 
three times the rewards for people to do that. But then it becomes like this huge system for game, like to, to game it, right? I have, I have friends. I mean, I travel all the time. So for me, it's, it's always how many points am I getting here on this or whatever. And then I think to myself, I don't know why I'm collecting these points because when I don't have to travel, I travel so much. I don't want to. So now I got all these points and yeah. I don't want to do it, but it becomes a game. It's almost a gamified element to it. Yes, indeed. You're a hundred percent right, Chad. So gamification is also a big part of it. That's number one. Number two is the data that's being collected on the consumer. So imagine you're a casino and you know that uh, I like uh, Chad likes to play uh, roulette and he pay he plays $30 a spin on average and he plays every Thursday night. I mean they could see that from the data. Sure. But wouldn't it be interesting to know the types of brands of cigars you smoke, your shoe size, you know what your uh you know your pet you have a small dog breed because they could see that you're shopping at Petco and you're buying dog food for a chihuahua. Right. You know? Now, sometimes it gets a little creepy. <laughs> it does. But it's probably just as creepy as, you know, I was just searching for these pair of shoes and now everywhere I go, I see these shoes pop up. Yeah, pre-targeting. retargeting. <laughs> so it's, yeah, yeah, again, it has to be used in the right context. But I think... As casino goers and, uh, you know, uh, airlines are doing the same thing now. So I, like I mentioned, Southwest has their rapid rewards marketplace. I can shop at Walmart, Kmart, Home Depot, Petco, a thousand other stores, and I can earn rewards that I can only use for more airline miles. Right. They may let you burn them off in other fashion, but that's up to the merchant in that case. Right. Um, and that, that's starting to proliferate. Below, you know, to become more pervasive. <laughs> all good. These new teeth that bother me. Uh, all right. So um, let's change direction here a little bit. I ask all of our guests kind of two standard questions towards the end of each interview. The first is simply as a CEO, as a person responsible for revenue, that means you're also a prospect for many sales professionals. And I'm always really curious to understand in this relationship economy, if somebody doesn't have a referral into you, they don't have, there's not somebody who's, you know, pointing you to this person or saying, hey, you should talk to them. For you, what do you find the most effective way for people to capture your attention and earn the right to 15 minutes on your calendar? Okay. So I'm going to give you the best answer that I can. I, I'm, I'm not the target market for that particular, I'm not the general sense of the word. Cause for me, I would give anyone the opportunity because I've been on the other side of the fence and I know what it's like to be pounding the pavement and making cold calls and things. I give everyone that small window of opportunity. It might not be 15 minutes, but it could be a 30 second or one minute elevator pitch. Right. And if it intrigues me or interests me, then I will let them elaborate. Okay. But for the, for the average CEO who has not enough time on their hands to, to be managing these sorts of things, it needs to be compelling enough to move the needle. Number one. And you know, the old what's in it for me, what, you know, right. uh, people are always going to think it doesn't have to be financially, but does it lighten my workload? Does it help my workers achieve their objectives, which makes me look like a hero. Right. Again, from an emotional standpoint, is this going to make a difference? And then right. if it does, I'll, I'll let it happen. If not, you know, it's sometimes the hardest thing to do is say no. <laughs> right. 
All right. Excellent. So last question, call it our acceleration insight. If there was one thing you could tell sales, marketing, professional services, people, one piece of advice you could give them that if they listen to, you believe would help them hit their targets or crush their goals, what would it be and why? Get started. I think too many people I see have trepidation about it has to be perfect. My pitch has to be spot on. Doesn't mean you shouldn't do your due diligence, but just get started and perfect as you go. I love it. Get started. Uh, there's a lot of people. I see a lot of people. It's almost analysis paralysis, right? Yes, exactly. And Ted Williams didn't hit 400 in his first year. <laughs> right. Excellent. Perfect. For Rob, if, if a listener's interested in learning more about comp links or talking to you about these topics, where do you want us to send them? I set up a special page specifically for your listeners. It's complinks.co, C-O-M-P-L-A-N-K-S.co forward slash B2B Rev, B, the number two, B-R-E-V. And I put in some exclusive information in there just for your listeners. Excellent. We will make sure to put that in the show notes. I can't thank you enough for taking the time. It's been an excellent conversation. Thanks, Chad. I appreciate your time as well. All right, everyone, that does it for this episode. Check us out at b2brevexec.com. Share with friends, families, and coworkers. And until next time, we at Value Selling Associates wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.